Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Well, what is up, Mission Church? I always love when I get an opportunity to do this and just kind of pour into our church and I'm super excited for it, but before I do, can we give it up one more time for our lead pastors, Tyler and Rachel Johnson? Uh, Every time I'm up here and every time I get to be up here, I wanna make sure that we take a moment and just thank them and thank you guys for all that you guys are in at least me and Paige's life and in the lives of everyone in the Bay Area and in the state of California. I know that a lot of times when, uh, and I said this last time I got to preach that, a lot of times when you're around excellence, uh, it seems normal. Uh, but I just always want to make sure that we know that this is not normal, that getting to be at Mission Church is not normal. So can we give it up one more time for our lead pastors, Tyler and Rachel Johnson? Love you guys. So thankful for you guys. Um, well, my name is Joe Little. I uh, am the youth pastor. I have the privilege of leading our Mission Youth uh, students here at Mission Church. Do we have any students in the house? Go ahead and make some noise. Raise your hands. Yes, love our Mission Youth students. Um, and it's just been an honor. It's been so amazing. It's crazy to think of all the things that we've gotten to do over the last year and how we started off uh, doing a Netflix party. Like Tyler said, we moved here when everything was shut down. So we couldn't uh, say, hey, we're all going to go out for ice cream. We kind of started with a Netflix party and we watched Spider-Man and we had six or seven kids and it was amazing. And to think of all the things God's already done uh, in our youth ministry and now that we get to meet in person uh, bi-weekly, which if you're in high school or middle school, you gotta come out, you gotta come hang. Uh, We meet every other Tuesday. We do bonfires and it's so much fun and God's been doing so many amazing things. And I just wanna brag on our leaders in our youth ministry. It's been so amazing. We've seen students get saved. We've seen students uh, follow Jesus. We've seen students uh, get discipled. So can we give it up for that? And just the fact that students at 15, at 16 are deciding to follow Jesus for the rest of their lives and just an amazing honor it is to just lead our youth ministry and we also even announced something super special uh, this last week that I'm so excited for Uh, as me and our lead pastors were kind of sitting down praying about what the summer would look like for youth and what we could do we were looking at a lot of different options things like summer camps and things like that but uh, what we ended up landing on that I'm so excited for is we're going to do our very own mission youth summer retreat in Lake Tahoe Uh, Yeah, we can give it up for that. It's going to be so amazing. We're literally just going to take a bunch of kids out to Tahoe with all of our leaders and just have a ton of fun. We're going to do everything from uh, North Tahoe and a bunch of ropes course and things like that all the way to shopping in Truckee. We're going to make sure you get the best of both worlds, and it's going to be amazing. And if you want to come and you're in middle school or high school, uh, we're going to have registrations right outside, uh, right through those doors as you exit. We're going to be right at our youth tent. Uh, we're going to be able to get you registered. And uh, the registration's $250, which was uh, really important for us to make sure that it was affordable. And what that's going to pretty much cover is is that covers everything from food to transportation to lodging. You won't have to spend a single dime when you're on the trip. Uh, and we're so excited. And if you're a student, I know I was the student that uh, I always uh, was a little bit afraid to ask my parents to go for things that... Uh, cost money. And if that's you, I want you to know we're never going to not let a student go to camp because of finances. We're never going to not let a student uh, experience Jesus because of finances. Uh, So we'd love for you to come hang with us. It's going to be July 15th through 17th in Lake Tahoe. Uh, And I'm biased, but it's going to be awesome. Um, So uh, yeah, to the word, to to God's word. Um, So excited tonight. I'm going to be preaching a message um, called, You're the Best Around. Look at the person next to you and say, You're the best around. We're going to try that one more time. Look at the other person and say, you're the best around. Now, if you're anything like me, 
when you uh, hear that uh, phrase, when you hear that slogan, when you hear that word, your mind automatically goes to The Karate Kid, which I think is one of the greatest movies. Yeah, we can give it up for The Karate Kid. So amazing. Um, great movie. And it brings your heart to that moment where Daniel's son has just won his first fight. And he finally believes that he can win the entire tournament. And, and his girlfriend looks at him and says, you're the best around. And he finally has faith. And all of a sudden, Joe Esposito comes up and he starts singing. And it's this amazing moment where you watch him fighting all of these people and, and defeating all of these people. And then he goes to the finals where he gets injured and he gets hurt. And it's devastating. And you're like, what's going to happen? And Mr. Miyagi does that thing where he puts his hands together and he heals him. And it's awesome. And he comes out and he comes out and he does the iconic crane kick, which some might argue was an illegal move, but who cares? It's a movie. So it's amazing. And it was so awesome. And he wins. And it's the greatest fight that he has ever won in his life until Karate Kid 2. And then it's amazing. It's one of the most iconic moments in movie history. But what's interesting is that this moment actually doesn't happen without a moment that happens about an hour before the movie. You see, about an hour before, Daniel's son is kind of training and he's working out and uh, Mr. Miyagi has him doing all of these crazy things. If you've seen the movie, you know that Mr. Miyagi has him sanding the floor. He has him painting the fence. He has him waxing his cars, wax on, wax off, wax on, wax off. And Daniel's son gets frustrated and probably rightfully so. He's like, dude, I don't want to do your chores. I want to steal Johnny's girl, beat up some dudes, and learn karate. Like, I don't want to clean your house. This is so dumb. And he says this phrase, among other things, that uh, as a student, you should never say to an adult. It's insane. Uh, and he says, you're supposed to teach, and I'm supposed to learn. But he said it more in kind of like an Italian quick way. Like, you're supposed to teach, I'm supposed to learn. That's the deal. And then he begins to walk away. And Mr. Miyagi stops him. He says, Daniel, son, show me sand the floor. And Daniel's son begins to bend down. It's like, dude, you're ruining the moment. Like, just show him sand the floor. And he's like, no, 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 Daniel, son, show me paint the fence. And what he ends up finding out is that everything that was frustrating him, everything that was aggravating him, everything that he was doing that he thought meant nothing actually was teaching him karate. It actually was training him for what would eventually be the greatest fight of his life. And I think that that's interesting because preparation will never look the way that we want it to, but it will always make more of a difference than we think it does. And I think that what can happen in our lives is we're going through hard times and we're like, God, I don't want to be just stewarding my finances. I wish I had some more. God, I don't want to just be nice to the mean people that are my neighbors. I wish you'd just give me some more friends. But what we'll end up finding out, even in this story that we're going to talk about, is that the way that you prepare for a battle matters. The way that you train for a battle matters because when you're in a battle, what you're gonna revert to is what you know. You're gonna do what you know. You're gonna do what you've been trained. So I thought, what better way to talk about fighting a battle? What better story than David and Goliath? And you might be like, Joe, this, like, I know you talk to a lot of middle schoolers and high schoolers. This, this story is a little bit too Sunday school for me. Like, don't bring out the velvet. Like, this story is a little bit too Sunday school. But let me tell you, this story is not Sunday school by any means. This story has conflict. This story has war. This story has people who are afraid for their lives. And where we're going to pick up in our story, Daniel or David has uh, just gotten to the battlefield because his father has sent him to bring his uh, brothers who were warriors some lunch. Because obviously you can't fight war on an empty stomach, I guess. So he brings them lunch to the battlefield. And when he gets there, what he ends up finding out is that Goliath is standing out in front of everyone. 
And he says, hey, Israelites, like, so pretty much there's two teams. There's the Israelites and the Philistines. And, and Goliath basically says, hey, Israelites, if any of you can beat me in a battle, if any of you can kill me in a combat, we'll all be your slaves. But if I kill one of you, you all have to be our slaves. So let me tell you, this is not a Sunday school fight. These are, these are the, the standards of a country, of a nation that is about to be decided by battle. They might have to cook what they want to cook, clean what they want to clean. Who knows, there was not labor laws back then. They are going to be slaves. They are going to be subjects. And he says this statement. He says, I defy your God. And David says, hold up. Any of y'all going to do anything? This is crazy. What, what is going on? Nobody even stepped up. And what happens is Saul, who would have been the king of Israel at this time, Saul, who was the king, who was over everything, is scrambling to find someone. I mean, he's going everywhere to find someone. He even put his daughter up and said, if you, if you kill this man, you can marry my daughter. Come on, who knows that this must have been a heavy fight for you to put your daughter up for marriage. Like, this is an intense fight. And David steps up and says, I'll do it. And at first, if you've heard the story, you know that even his brothers were like, David, what are you doing? You're not even supposed to be here. You're not even supposed to be on the battlefield. Even Saul was like, David, you can't do this. This is a little bit too intense. This is a little bit too high of stakes. And what happens in the story is in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 38, Saul eventually allows David to do it, which means that he was desperate, which means that he couldn't find anyone. Even he himself did not want to do it. And it says, Saul outfitted David as a soldier in armor. He put his bronze helmet on his head and belted his sword on him over the armor. David tried to walk, but he could barely budge. David told Saul, I can't even move with all this stuff on me. I'm not used to this. And he took it all off. David then took his shepherd's staff, selected five smooth stones from the brook, and put them in the pocket of the shepherd's pack. And with his sling in his hand, he approached Goliath. As the Philistine paced back and forth, his shield bearer in front of him, he noticed David. He took one look down on him and sneered. A mere boy, apple-cheeked and peach-fuzzed. The Philistine ridiculed David. Am I a dog that you come after me with a stick? And he cursed him by his gods. Come on, said the Philistine. I'll make roadkill of you for the buzzards. I'll turn you into a tasty morsel for the field mice. David answered, you come at me with sword and spear and battle axe. I come at you in the name of the God of the angel armies, the God of Israel's troops whom you curse and mock this very day. God is handing you over to me. Let's pray one more time. God, I thank you that no matter what battles we might be in, no matter what we might be going through, God, you are with us. You are for us. You have a plan for our lives. Help us prepare just a little bit better for our battles tonight. Help us to just feel and leave even a little bit more prepared than when we walked in. Do what only you can do. And we also say a special prayer, God, for your Los Angeles Lakers, your team, God. We are struggling. Good God. Uh, do what only you can do. In Jesus' name. Uh, and all God's people said, amen. Uh, by a show of hands, raise your hand if you're the adventurer in your family. Like you're the one that always wants to go out and do something. You're the one that you have to try to convince everyone else. Like, let's go do this. Let's go hike. Let's go, let's, let's go be adventurous. Now, Raise your hand if you're the opposite. You're the homebody. You're like, why are we going to hike? Our couch is just fine. Like, why? Like, what's, what's the issue? I'm confused. 
Um, now, I am in some kind of weird middle position in this. Like, I love to adventure. I love to go out and do things. Like, even if it's sunny outside, I can't stay inside for more than a couple hours. But I also like my own bed. Like, I was literally the guy in college that if all my friends were like, all right, we're gonna go have a guy's night. We're all gonna play video games till 2 a.m. We're gonna all hang out. It's gonna be awesome. And we're all gonna stay uh, in this person's dorm. I would literally sneak out when people like went to sleep and I would go back to my own bed. Like most people sneak out to go see their friends. I snuck out to go see my bed. Like I'm going home. I, I don't understand. My dorm is five minutes down the road walking. Like I don't need to sleep in your dorm. Uh, and this even actually played a part in our honeymoon. So me and my wife Paige got married about three years ago, um, and she's awesome. Yeah, we can give it up for my wife. She's awesome. She's so great. Um, so we got married three years ago. We went on our honeymoon to Cancun, and it was so much fun. I mean, this was amazing. It was so much fun. We did an all-inclusive resort, which if there's any engaged couples in the room, let me encourage you, do all-inclusive. It's so great. And we uh, went to the pool and the beach every day. Come on, when you're on your honeymoon, you gotta have both. We went to the pool and the beach. We're hanging out. We're seeing the city, and it was amazing. And it got to the point that we were like, do we just get called to Cancun? Like... <laughs> Like, have you ever been on vacation and it's like, God, if you send me anywhere, send me to Cancun because this place is, this place is great. So we're in Cancun and we're hanging out and we're having a ton of fun. And uh, both me and my wife are, are a little bit of homebody. She's a little bit more of a homebody than I am. But once I'm away from my bed for a few days, like, I just kind of really want to go home. So we were there for a week and then we went to go see family for another week. So we're literally away from our houses for two weeks. And I remember like around the fifth or sixth day, both of us are kind of like, we're just kind of ready to go home. Like, and it wasn't even that we weren't having fun. We just were kind of like, we're ready to go start our lives together. We're ready to go to work. We're ready to go do the little things. We're ready to um, go hang out in our city with our friends as married couples. We were ready to uh, just basically go be married, you know? Um, so uh, I remember I was talking to one of my friends about this and my friend said, oh, Joe, that's totally normal. Like, usually, like, we felt the exact same way. Like, you just love, like, the honeymoon's great. The honeymoon's, like, a lot of fun. Um, but the good stuff is when you go home. The good stuff is when you get to uh, be in your own city, when you get to go to your own bed, when you get to be in your own home, and you do life together, and you get to start your family. And it's funny because as great as Cancun was, it just wasn't where we were called. As great as Cancun was, as fun as it was, I think we had the best of the best honeymoon. I think we, it was the, the best that we could do but it just wasn't where we were supposed to be. And what's interesting about this story is that in the beginning of this story, Saul kind of puts his armor on David. And if you've done any study about the story, you know that if this was Saul's armor, this would have been the best armor that he could have gotten. Like if you give, like Saul was the king of Israel. So you always want to give your king the best armor. This would have been the highest quality armor. This would have probably been the best armor that David could have found. But there was only one problem with this armor. It wasn't David's. You see, this armor would have been the best of the best. It would have been the highest quality. It probably would have been the safest, but it wasn't David's. And David says, Saul, I can't wear armors that isn't mine. I can't wear weapons. I can't wear these things that aren't mine. And what's interesting about this story is that the Bible even lets us know that David said he could barely move. So David is trying on this armor and he can barely move. Imagine David trying to go out and fight Goliath and he can barely move. Goliath, who is trained, Goliath, who has been waiting for this moment since probably he was young, waiting to prove himself, waiting to win something for his nation, waiting to win something for his people, and David can barely move. 
Because you will never have the same grace, you'll never have the same mobility, you'll never have the same power fighting your battles using other people's weapons as you would if you used the ones that God had already given you. And what we end up finding about Saul is that Saul's response to battles was always to fight like a warrior. That was his response. So it makes sense in his mind, okay, David, you're going out for a battle, let's, let's give you armor. Even later down the road when David becomes a big deal and, and he's doing all of these things for the country of Israel and he's a huge warrior and people start singing songs about David, people get Grammys about the things that they're writing about David, what ends up happening is Saul gets so upset, he gets so angry, he gets so ticked off that he decides to try to kill him to the point that David is literally playing an instrument for Saul and he just throws a spear at him. David kind of just spins out of it and keeps playing. Like if I'm David, I'm at least putting my two weeks notice in. Like that is the least that I am doing. I'm, I'm not sticking around, but David just stayed there just playing. But what's interesting is Saul's response, the thing that he, he went back to was to fight like a warrior. But what's also interesting is that David at this point in his life wasn't a warrior, he was a shepherd. You see, the reason why they didn't want David to fight Goliath, the reason why they didn't want David to, to go against Goliath was because he wasn't even supposed to be at the battlefield. He wasn't a warrior, he was a shepherd. And I think a lot of our lives, the reason why you might be having trouble maybe getting your family members to follow Jesus, the reason why you might be having trouble getting your friends to follow Jesus, getting your coworkers to follow Jesus, might be because you're trying to fight your battles like a warrior instead of trying to fight your battle like a shepherd. You see, the reason why Christians sometimes get this stigma as being rude and as irritating and like they don't stand for anything but themselves is because we spend a lot of our times fighting our battles like warriors instead of fighting our battles like shepherds. And what ends up happening is David gets this weapon, he gets his shepherd's staff. And what we end up finding about the shepherd's staff is that that's actually used to lead sheep into narrow places that they might not be able to get to on their own. And what this shows me is that our job as Christians is not to fight like warriors and tear down everything in our path, not caring who we hurt, not caring who gets hurt or what things we take out, but our job is actually to lead and guide people into places that they might not be able to go. Maybe lead them into a little bit more peace. Maybe lead them into a little bit more honor. Maybe lead them into a little bit more purity and identity. Our job is not to fight as warriors, but to fight as shepherds. And point number one tonight, the first thing I think that we can learn from this story, we're gonna talk about three weapons that we, can, that we can fight with, the three things we can fight with. The first one is you fight with who you are. You can fight your battles with who you are. You see, David couldn't defeat Goliath fighting like Saul. David couldn't beat Goliath trying to be Saul. And a lot of us, sometimes we fight battles and we say things like, well, this is just kind of how my family does it. This is just kind of how my friend group responds. This is just kind of how I've always done things. But what we end up finding out is that you don't have to fight your battles the way other people fight their battles. You don't have to fight your battles the way that you've maybe seen in the past, but we can fight our battles like shepherds. And as the story continues, in verse 41, it says, as the Philistine paced back and forth, his shield bearer in front of him, he noticed David. He took one look down on him and sneered. A mere boy, apple-cheeked and peach fuzz. The Philistine ridiculed David. Am I a dog that you come after me with a stick? And he cursed him by his gods. Come on, said the Philistine. I'll make roadkill of you for the buzzards. I'll turn you into a tasty morsel for the field mice. 
And before we moved out here, uh, we were kind of putting some things together, kind of getting all of our stuff together. And I decided to go get an oil change. And getting an oil change is honestly one of the most annoying things, I think, because you can't really do anything. Like, I'm a guy that likes to do something. Uh, so I kind of just went and sat. And it was a pretty standard oil change. But something you need to know about my car is I drive a 2016 Nissan Versa, and the engine light kind of rotates on and off. Like, that's pretty much... People are laughing. I'm being so serious. Um, the engine light kind of rotates on and off. Like it kind of turns on and it turns off. So I asked the guy at the oil chain, I said, hey, can you uh, fix this for me? I would like my engine light to not be on, please, sir. Um, and he says, hey, uh, in order to fix this, we'd have to do all these different tests, but you're actually fine. Your car is fine, even though the engine light is on. So I said, all right, not even going to worry about it. And I end up going home and I get a phone call. And it's from uh, the Nissan shop that I just got my oil change in. They call me and they say, hey, uh, Mr. Little, we saw that you got an oil change today. And we think that we can uh, give your car a trade and you'll be able to kind of upgrade your car. And what I should have said was, uh, I don't believe you. I think that you're kind of lying to me. You probably just want me to come back into the shop so you can try to sell me a new car. I probably should have been super gracious and said, thank you so much for calling me. Um, but no thanks. But instead, I said, yo, we're getting a brand new car. Like, it's about to be amazing. I literally got all my friends. We went to, back to Nissan. I said, I'm getting a car. I text Paige and all my family. I'm like, hey, I'm getting a new car. It's about to be amazing. So I literally go into Nissan, and I walk in like a boss. Like, I'm like, I'm not going to have to spend any money. I'm going to be able to trade my car in. I'm walking out with a brand new car. And a guy walks up to me, and he's handing me water. Uh, we, we become friends. He's calling me Joe. I'm like, this is amazing. I'm literally about to walk out here with a brand new car. And he says, all right, I fill out all the paperwork. I'm there for like an hour. And he says, okay, we just have to look at your car, see how much the value is. I'm estimating it'll be about this. This will go towards your down payment. We'll even be able to lower your uh, monthly rates. I'm like, this is amazing. Like, why have I never done this before? And he goes out and he's looking at the car a little bit longer than I expected. Uh, like he really took his time. So I'm like, you know, I'm sure it's just probably worth more than he said. Um, so I, he comes back. And I got to be honest, his tone was a little bit different. Uh, he started off saying, Mr. Little. Uh, I said, you can, you can still call me Joe, please. Uh, <laughs> um, so he says, Mr. Little, uh, so not only was your car uh, not worth as much as we thought it would be, but you actually would have to pay X amount in order to pay off your car and then also pay thousands more dollars in order for the down payment. Oh, and your rate's going to go up. I could not have left Nissan faster. I promise you. I probably left a shoe there. Like, I ran... Ow, I was done, but I was thinking about it because honestly, I was fine with my car before he called me. Like, it was cool. Like, I didn't really care about it. I didn't really think, oh, I need a new car. I was really honestly cool with my car. But then once I got there and I started seeing all the other cars, I was like, well, this car has a monitor. That's pretty cool. My car is kind of terrible. Like, this car has this and that. My, my car doesn't even have that and this. This is, this is terrible. Uh, and I think what can happen in our lives is that if the enemy can't attack who you are, if he can't get you to question your identity, then he'll begin to cause you to think that what you have is small. And what happens is Goliath begins to try to attack what's in David's hand. And I think that this is the prime reason why comparison is one of the biggest killers in our society. Because if I'm being honest, I was fine with what I had until I saw what you had. I was cool with my 2016 Nissan Versa until I saw your Tesla that parks itself. <laughs> I was cool with my two-bedroom, one-bathroom apartment until I saw you had a yard. 
I was fine with going to LA for vacation, but then you went to Hawaii. And what the enemy's plan is, is to get you to look at what's in everyone else's hand, to get you to strive for what's in everybody else's hand, to get you to go after what's in everybody else's hand, all while neglecting to steward, all while neglecting to appreciate, all while neglecting to to love what's in your own hand. And this is what Goliath does to David. He begins to attack what's in his hand. He says, you come at me with a shepherd's stick? You come at me with a, a stick for a dog? Are you kidding? Do you see me? You could, you'll never stand a chance. You were better off using Saul's weapons. You were better off using those weapons. And there are people in here tonight who you've given up on your marriage. You've given up on your job. You've given up on your family. Not because they were toxic environments. Not because they were super abusive. Not because you thought it was the right thing to do. But simply because you saw what someone else had. And there's a phrase that I think that is so true and so right that I'm sure we've all heard before, but the grass isn't greener on the other side. The grass is green where it's watered. The lawn isn't green on the other side. The lawn is green where it's watered. And not, watered. And not only that, you don't know what they put on their lawn. You don't know how long they've been researching that lawn. You don't know how many times they went to counseling for that lawn. You don't know how many times they worked a desk job for that lawn. You don't know how many times they did this and that and that and stewarded this and that for their lawn. But we tend to judge people's books by their covers instead of judging them by their content. And what can happen is you can begin to look at what you have as small. You begin to minimize what you have as small. But the problem with this is the second point tonight. The second things you're supposed to fight your battles with. We fight our battles with what we have. We fight our battles with what we have. You see, the plan of the enemy will always get you to think that what you have is not enough, that what you have isn't good enough, that it's not big enough, that you don't have enough opportunity, that uh, your family is not like that family. Your family is not like, like this family. You don't go on vacations like this family. But what I love about God And what I love about David's response is he says, yes, my weapons might be smaller than yours, but thank God they're mine. He says, yes, my weapons might not be as big as you thought they would, but thank God they're mine. I pray that we as a church say things like, yeah, my family might not be perfect, but thank God they're mine. My job might not be perfect, but thank God it's mine. My opportunity might not be perfect, but I'm going to make opportunity right where I'm at. The way that we fight our battles is with who we are and with what we have. And as I begin to close and the band comes up to play behind me so I sound more spiritual. (laughs) In verse 43, it says, the Philistine ridiculed David. Am I a dog that you come after me with a stick? And he cursed him by his gods. Come on, said the Philistine. I'll make roadkill of you for the buzzards. I'll turn you into a tasty morsel. Come on, you know you're upset with someone when you turn them into a morsel. Like that is, uh, some of you guys probably say that to you. Well, maybe you shouldn't say that to your kids, but it might work. Clean your room, you morsel. It's, I don't know. Um, (laughs) David answered, you come at me with sword and spear and battle axe. I come at you in the name of God of the angel armies, the God of Israel's troops, whom you curse and mock this very day. God is handing you over to me. And um, it's cool because he's actually singing tonight, so he's going to be up here pretty soon. But um, raise your hand if you know Ian Tong. Oh, he's actually right here. Ian, stand up. Stand up for us. Stand up for us. Stand up. Ian Tongle. Ian Tongle, everyone. Did a great job tonight. So proud. 
Um, Ian is one of the most encouraging people that I have ever met. Like, he's one of those people that are, like, so encouraging. Like, it's like, do you ever have a bad day? Like, prime example, me and Ian, I texted Ian a few days ago and was like, uh, Ian, let's go golfing. And Ian um, didn't text me back right away, but he texted me back maybe a day later. and was like, hey, man, I'm so sorry. Uh, I actually have to work. And I said, oh, man, it's all good, man. We found a fourth anyway. And he goes, praise the Lord. God provides. Like, do you have a bad day? Like, I'm so confused. And one time, me and Ian were about to go golfing, and uh, we made these plans about a week in advance. And uh, we looked closer to the day, and it, we were pl planning to golf on Friday, and it, about Tuesday, it looked like it was about to rain. So I text Ian, and I'm like, hey, Ian, it's about to rain. Uh, I think we got to cancel the plans. And he goes, oh, no, man, we're good. We're, we'll be fine. Don't even worry about it. So it gets closer to the day, and I realize that uh, it went from 50% to 30%. So I'm hyped. Like I text Ian and I'm like, Ian, it got down to 30%. It's going to be amazing. Like I'm trying to rationalize that I'm not going to get soaking wet. Like I'm trying to make it seem like it's not going to be that bad. So I text Ian and I'm like, hey, Ian, like the, the rain went down. I think we might be able to stay dry. And he texts me back, no, dude, we're going to get soaked. It's going to be awesome. Like I'm like, dude, do you have a bad day? I'm so confused. And then we get to the course. And it's sunny. It had rained a little bit in the different area as I was driving there, but it was sunny where we were golfing. And I was like, oh my gosh, it, it might be able to be sunny out. We, we might be fine. And I'm hitting at the driving range and it started to get a little bit cloudy and, and Ian uh, gets out of his car because he's so good. He doesn't need to hit the driving range before. He just goes straight to the first tee. Um, so he gets out to his car. He goes straight to the first tee. And the first thing he says, hope you got your rain jackets. We're about to get soaked. And I'm like, dude, how are you so happy all the time? And what's interesting is that, honestly, I wasn't super like into going. Like I was like, all right, I guess we'll go. I'm not a huge fan of being outside when it's raining. I feel like that's a normal thing. Um, and what ended up happening was we had one of the most fun rounds that I've ever had. Like it was a group of us and we're getting literally poured down. You can barely see 40 yards in front of you, but we're having a ton of fun and and we're hitting the balls around and we're, and we're talking and we're hanging. And, it's crazy because I wouldn't have got to experience that. That was one of the most memorable golf moments that I probably ever had. And I wouldn't have gotten to have that if I didn't know that Ian was with us. And it's interesting because I would never taken that step. I probably would have honestly stayed home if Ian wasn't with me. And if the enemy can't get you to question who you are, if he can't get you to question what you have, well, then he'll try to make you feel like you're alone. And he'll, have, he'll start saying things in your brain like, well, nobody's dealing with anxiety the way that you are. Nobody's struggling with depression the way that you are. Nobody's frustrated with their job the way that you are. And what's crazy about this part of the story, this was what I would call the climax of the story because these two people are about to battle to the death for their nation. Whoever loses, you're, you're their subjects. That's it, it's over, you're done. And every single time before a battle like this, each person got the opportunity to make a speech. They got the opportunity to maybe say what would be their last words. And Goliath takes this opportunity like most people probably would, and he tries to intimidate David. Who do you think you are? You come at me with, with a stick for a dog? I'm literally gonna crush you. He tries to use this moment to assert his authority, to try to bully David 
to try to take David out mentally, but David decides not to show his authority, but to show God's authority and say, you might come at me with sword, you might come at me with spear, you might come at me with battle ax, but I come at you in the name and the power and the hope of the living God. Some of us need to talk to our giants more than we listen to our giants. You see, a lot of us spend a lot of time talking or listening to our giants, pondering our giants, giving attention to our giants, entertaining our giants. But a lot of us need to talk to our giants, saying, you might come at me with sickness, you might come at me with a doctor's report, you might come at me with poverty, but I come at you in the name and the power and the love and the hope of the living God, saying, you can't have my family, you can't have my children, you can't have my finances, you can't have my mental health. Today, this day, is the day that God is handing you over over to me. Today, this day, I'm, I'm taking a stand. The last point tonight, the last thing that we can fight our battles with, we fight our battles with who is with us. What if the reason you keep feeling like you're losing the battles in your life is because you've been fighting them alone? What if the reason why you feel like you've been losing the battle against depression, the battle against anxiety, against fear, against anger, against frustration, against your temper, what if the reason why is because you're feeling like Goliath and you might just be strong enough to handle it? But what I love about this story, and I promise we're almost done, the way that this story ends, David ends up killing Goliath. I don't know if you knew that or not, spoiler alert. David ends up killing Goliath. He wins the fight, crazy. Um, and in verse 52, what's interesting is I had never read the part after it. I had always read, okay, David killed Goliath, and then I kind of stopped there. But what's even crazier is what ends up happening after it. In verse 52, it says, the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Sherem road to Gath and Ekron when the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. What once had them in their bunkers, they're now chasing after. What once brought them to their knees, they're now going after. They're now pursuing. Because when you understand that you're not fighting your battles alone, when you understand that God is with you, that God is for you, that your church is with you, that your community is for you, what can happen is the things that used to bring you to your knees, you'll now begin to stand upon. You'll now begin to have power over. You'll now begin to have authority over. And my prayer for our church is that we wouldn't be people who suffer alone. That's what mission track, mission groups, that's what it's all for. It's not just so we can have events. It's not just so we have things to announce, but it's so that you know that no matter what you're going through, your church is with you. We stand with you. We're for you. God has a plan for your life. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.